to the book of Genesis, chapter 9, the first 17 verses. We have shared two of the eight covenants of the Bible. We've been through the Edenic covenant, we've been through the Adamic covenant, and tonight we will go through the third covenant by way of timeline. We are now in the Noahic covenant. The Noahic covenant is an unconditional covenant. And for sake of time and everything that we need to share, we're going to get right into it and get right into the participants in this covenant. We have God and we have Noah in this covenant. This is God's covenant to Noah. And now, where Adam was the representative of the the human race, which he is, but currently now in the Noahic covenant, we have Noah as representation of the human race. Adam is known as the first father of mankind, and Noah is known as the second father of mankind. And as we look into the benefits, and as we look into the provisions of this covenant, we are going to find a very close parallel between what was given to Adam and what is given to Noah here as well. And and so getting right into the provisions, we're going to share seven provisions of this covenant. And the first one is that man was to repopulate the earth. Look look with me into verse 1. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now go with me to verse 7. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So the provision to Adam was to be fruitful and multiply. And he did. And now this is given to Noah. Well, what we find in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, after the provision was given to Adam, it says, And God saw that, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And so God brought a universal flood upon the earth, uh, the entire earth that is, And it flooded every living thing in the entire earth. And then after that flood, the earth was empty except for eight people. Except for Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife and his son's wives. And that they all were of one wife. And so there were eight. Now there were eight upon the entire earth. Uh, concerning mankind. Of the animal kingdom, there were, as we commonly think, 
two. There were two of every unclean animal. But of every clean animal, there were not two, but there were seven of the male and the female of the clean animal. And of the fowls of the air, there were seven of the male and the female. The male and the female are life producing in a relationship. By God's design, that's the way that one will be fruitful and multiply. A relationship made by God of male and female. A relationship of like gender would be the death of the human race. A relationship of like gender cannot possibly honor and follow God's provision of being fruitful and multiplying. It's an impossibility for that to happen, to be able to repopulate the earth. But that is the provision that is given to Noah. It was also given to Adam, and we've talked about why that did not happen. Now, something else that was given to Adam that is not included here uh, with Noah is to subdue the earth. Adam was given the provision to subdue the earth, bring it under uh, control and authority, but this is not given to Noah. Because in the fall, man lost his authority and Satan got it. That's why in John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul calls Satan the God of this world, lowercase g, of course. Satan has authority right now over all the kingdoms of the earth. And he can offer them to whoever he wants to. He, can, he not only has authority over them, but he uses them to entice. He uses them for temptation. We know this because he did the very same thing to Jesus in the wilderness when he took him out and he showed him all the kingdoms and he said, you can have them. If you will bow down and worship me, you can have it all. But praise God, Jesus rejected and he replied with the word of God and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. But there's going to come a time when Satan offers it to the Antichrist and the Antichrist is going to accept. But we see the first provision there, that they were to repopulate the earth. But we see another provision in verse 2. The fear of man was put into animals, and man was to dominate them. It says, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand... Are they delivered? So we see that though man lost his authority upon the earth uh, 
to dominate, he still has authority over the animal kingdom. This is why the fear of man was placed in the animals. This fear was the preservation of man that God designed. And that leads us right into the next provision. Now we go into man's diet. And all three provisions so far, we have man's diet and what he eats. It's, it's in, been included in every one. And in verse 3, it says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So, man's diet consisted of vegetables on the plate at the table, and that was it. But now, man can have meat and vegetables at the table on the plate. And by the way, there are no restrictions here at this very point. It is all flesh of every animal at this time, whether clean or unclean. They knew the difference in clean and unclean because of the animals that were brought onto the ark according to God's instructions. But there were no provisions uh, as far as a precise restriction at this time about what they could eat. It was every living thing. However, there was a certain restriction within it. And that is that man was not to eat the blood and man was not to drink the blood of the animal. And as we go into the next few provisions, what we're going to see within these provisions is the sanctity of life, the guarding of the sanctity of life. So look with me in verse 4 as it says, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, ye shall not eat. Man was forbidden to eat the blood. You know, animal life and human life is sustained by blood. You know, there are doctrines out there that people teach and they ignore the blood. They say that those who talk about the blood in the Bible are wrong to do so, that it's about the life. It's about the life. It's not about the blood, they say. It's, just replace that anytime you use blood and you replace that with life, so many say. And the blood is a symbol of life. And the shedding of blood is a symbol of death. Yet, the evidence of life is in the blood. And the evidence of the shedding of blood uh, the evidence of death is in the shedding of blood. In John chapter 19, from verses 30 to 35, when Jesus is on the cross and Jesus says it is finished, after he received the vinegar to his mouth, he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And they broke the legs of the malefactors on each side of Jesus. And when they got to Jesus, they believed he had already died. So they didn't break his legs. And that was fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that they didn't break his legs. And though they believed he died, a soldier put a spear to the side of Jesus. And the blood and the water flowed. 
So there is no reasonable argument, there is no reasonable debate that Jesus really didn't die, but he went in the tomb alive, and that's how the tomb ended up being empty. There's the swoon theory, and there's these ridiculous theories out there saying that Jesus didn't die, but the shedding of blood is the evidence of death, and the blood poured from the side of Jesus. There is is power in the blood. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that we are justified through faith in his blood. It's the shedding. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is very high importance on the blood. Well, let's go into another provision which is going to also reveal the guarding of the sanctity of life now. In verses 5 through 7, we're going to see that capital punishment for the first time became part of the system of the land. Verse 5, And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man and the hand of of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you be ye fruitful and multiply, bringing forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So set forth in the Noahic covenant now is the execution of all murderers. There is punishment that has been set forth now for the murderer. The punishment was not instituted whenever Cain killed his brother Abel. Or if it were, Cain would have been executed. But that wasn't the punishment at the time. The punishment was that he was cursed and he would be sent out east of Eden... And he would be a a vagabond and he would be a fugitive and he would go and dwell in the land of Nod. So we see that this was a provision that came forth in the Noahic covenant. So now responsibility and accountability is given and punishment is known for the destruction of human life in the Noahic covenant. Whether whether it be by man or whether it be by beast, it is now known. God treats life very special. God made man in His image. As a personal, rational, moral being with a body, with a spirit, and with a soul. For the purpose of fellowship with Him. It's a divine design that God has as He has given provision to be fruitful and multiply. God loves people. And God wants fellowship with people. So murder is completely at odds with God's design. It's opposite of what God has purposed for mankind and it is highly offensive to him. So therefore, he put 
for punishment for murder, capital punishment. That, that if someone takes a life, their life will be taken. The death penalty. A death penalty came forth in the Noahic covenant. The death penalty saves lives. That's the intent of it. And by the way, it still goes on today. It's in a different way that it takes place. And it should take place properly. But if you want to look into Romans chapter... We're not going to go there tonight. But Romans chapter 13, in the beginning of the chapter sets forth the death penalty that God has ordained in this day and time. But as we look into another covenant, uh, another provision, we see humanity would never be destroyed again in a worldwide flood. Verse 8, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl of the air, of the cattle, and of the beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast in the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there be any more there shall any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Now there have been floods, and it has destroyed humanity since then, but they have been local floods, okay? So knowing our God and knowing unlike anybody you'll ever know, He does not break a promise. He does not break His covenant. So therefore, since there have been floods and since humanity has been lost in floods, we see these are local floods. And so we see that the flood in Noah's day was absolutely a flood of the entire earth. God didn't say there wouldn't be any kind of flood at all that would destroy humanity, but there wouldn't be an overall flood over the entire earth that would destroy all of humanity. That is the covenant that is made here. Now, there is a future passing away of earth's system, but it will not be by a flood. Now, let's look into another provision starting in verse 12. Because this covenant has a sign. Not every covenant has a sign, but this one comes with one. It says in verse 12, And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh, and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, 
This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. God gave a sign here of a rainbow. He gave a sign of his promise with a rainbow. I can remember a lot of things back quite a long way in my life. I might remember things from two and three years old, but I I don't know that that was the time of, of the thing. But I can say at about four and five years old and around that time, when I looked at a rainbow outside, I believed that's where I came from. That's what my dad told me. And my dad told me that over and over. And he completely left my mom out of it. You know, there's an advantage to, the, to mom carrying the child. Every child has a special thing with mom. But my dad said, you slid down the rainbow into my arms. My dad took it all, all the credit. And I kid you not. When I saw a rainbow, I would look and I would try to look very hard for a little newborn baby to be sliding down that rainbow. My dad told me the story a lot. I looked so hard, I think I thought I saw a baby come slide down the rainbow. And then later on in school, I hear this story of there being a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So now I'm starting to get really confused and discombobulated with it all. But we have a biblical account for the meaning of what the rainbow is. I mean, you have all kinds of groups out there. You have, you have uh, in, in Babylonia or in India or in Greece or in other people groups, they have come up with something of their own of what they think the rainbow means. But the biblical account trumps it all. There is no deception. There's no selfish motive in the biblical account from God. And it is a sign that is in the clouds. It is a promise of mercy in a picture that God will not flood the entire earth anymore uh, and everything in it completely. That is the promise from God to you and I. And I was a little upset at the deception that came over me. You know, one man would not give his baby a pacifier. He didn't believe in it because he believed it was deceiving. And I don't want to teach my child to be deceived. I don't go that far, but I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to deception. In my younger days, I was kind of gullible. So, so when the family unit's driving down the road and we see a rainbow... I turn into the preacher and everybody's wowing. Oh, look, it's a rainbow. That's not good enough for me. You need to be thinking about exactly what that rainbow means. That is God's promise of mercy that he's not going to flood the earth. So when you wow at the rainbow, do not just wow at the beauty of the rainbow. I want you to consider what it means. Oh, it helped me so much. When I came 
to truth that I could stand on. You wouldn't believe the things I heard or, or my own little fleshly laws that I gathered from older men I thought were wise. And I'm not even going to go into them. I, I thank God for His Word and the biblical account. Don't try to stand on anything else. It is sinking sand. Please build your life on a firm foundation. This is it. This is the only thing that we can build it on. So a sign was given with this covenant. Every covenant didn't have one, but this one did. And by the way, in the Noahic covenant, it was the first sighting of the rainbow because rain and a rainbow go together. But before this Noahic covenant, there was no rain upon the earth. The watering of the plant life on the earth came from a mist. It had not rained as of yet. So this is the first sighting of the rainbow. And we still see today. And we're reminded of the promise of mercy. Please don't just ooh and ah over the colors. But ooh and ah over God's promise. What it is. Think about what it is. Well, let's close this and... Look at the status of this covenant because we see that this is now a covenant for the basis of orderly organized government. Now, government uh, along the way has changed and some things for the negative in different ways. But the Noahic covenant is still in full effect today. Later on in Isaiah chapter 24, it speaks of judgment for violating the everlasting covenant. And, and if you will look in verse 16, we will see right here in the text that the covenant of Noah is the everlasting covenant. That is what it's called and it has a sign picture to us of mercy. God will not flood the earth again. God will not judge the earth by a flood. But hey, God is going to judge again. But He's going to judge by fire. It's not going to be by water. It's going to be fire next time. But as I think about these signs and these, these pictures of a promise, it, it makes me want to close with the cross because the cross is a sign. We see a lot of crosses here and there. I see a lot of crosses on unscriptural churches. I'm not thankful for the unscriptural churches, but I'm always thankful to see a cross. You can hardly drive down the road without seeing a cross. Many church buildings in the old days, if you looked at them from a helicopter view, they would be in the shape of a cross. You would have the sanctuary here and the Sunday school rooms going out this way. And they did it that way purposely in the shape of a cross. At the cross is where our sins died. At the cross is where blood was shed for your sins and mine. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. What a beautiful picture 
for you and I that we might always consider the cross and what Jesus did on that hill to Golgotha. And I ask you tonight, is there anyone here who maybe you've been religious, maybe you've attended church, and maybe you believe your life's gotten better in a lot of ways, but i got to ask you if you've been to the cross spiritually in your heart because that's where you meet Jesus. That's where all of your sins were taken. So have you been to the cross tonight? If there's anyone here who, who hasn't, you have an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ, to know Him, not to be religious, but to know Jesus. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know Thee. Do you know Him personally? Do you have peace that once you die, that you're going to meet God and you're going to be accepted by God because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Not because you said it with your mouth, not because you were baptized, but because you have made peace with God and you know you have trusted Him. If you're here tonight and, and you are saved, what a, what, what, a, what a blessed thing that is for you and I to consider the cross. We, we, sing, we sang of the cross tonight unplanned by, by anything I had planned at the end here. Didn't talk to Nolan about, but we sang about it tonight. We sing about the cross a lot because that's where there's victory over sin. Thank God our victory over sin happened at that cross. I'm, I'm glad for the day I went to the cross back in June of 2004. And I know that all my sins, my past sins, my present sins, all my future sins were taken away from me. And I was cleansed. And I, could, I couldn't sin the same anymore. I'm still a sinner, but I couldn't sin the same anymore. I could just freely do it with no repercussions, no second thought about it. I'm not going to go into detail about going to a wedding in a church building and then going to a reception afterwards, but I could just do whatever I want. I thought I was free. I was actually in the hands of the devil. But, but once we become saved, once we've been to the cross, then we've got to deal with those sins with God. We are uncomfortable Setting a, just setting and, and letting those things stir in us. And we, we've got to tell God what we've done. Explain to Him what we've done. All that happens by meeting Jesus at the cross. Thank God for, for that picture that you and I have. Well, as we close tonight, uh, you never know what you're going to miss.